Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Good to see everyone today, and uh, before we get into our scripture today, I want to just thank you as a congregation. We have been focusing on the Afghan refugees that are coming into our city, and uh, our first phase in our attempt to be a part of the, the group of churches and organizations that are supporting them was to give money, and you guys gave $30,000 to be able to use for this. Isn't that awesome? And so that $30,000 combined with money, for, actually from First Prez, uh, who had a similar campaign, uh, will be used to buy mattresses. And we're going to buy mattresses for all of these families so that they have new beds to sleep on. Amen? And so that's a wonderful thing. That was phase one. We are now entering into phase two. And phase two has to do with building relationships with these families. Can you imagine coming from a place like Afghanistan and then just showing up in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and what that means and how to even operate the things that go on around you and how to get enrolled in school and how to learn the language and all these different things. So it requires people who are willing, willing to come alongside of these families. So we want to build two hospitality teams in order to support two families that will be adopted by the Kirk. And so we need some people to step up, people that are willing to be kind of the point, the point couple to host these families, and then we'll need some uh, kind of key team members, four or five, that will work under them, and then maybe a couple of small groups that will be the resource people to help with transportation and, and food and giving and supporting. So there's just lots to do. If you are interested in this, a couple of things. Number one, sign up. Uh, we have a sign-up sheet, a uh, physical sign-up sheet out on the um, information desk. We also have these cards that are on your chairs, and on the back there's a QR code, so you can scan that with your camera, and it will take you directly to a sign-up place on our website, and you'll be able to sign up electronically. So we would love for you to sign up. That's number one. Number two is we are going to be having an information meeting next week right after this service. There will be one just before this service at the end of the uh, 9 o'clock service, so at 10, thir- at 10 o'clock, um, 10, 15, uh, in the upper room, and then immediately following this service next week. So if you would like more information, kind of to hear the bigger picture of what's going on and uh, are considering volunteering, then uh, come and be a part of those information meetings. Great. All right, let's move on now to our passage. Today, uh, we are going to talk about money. Um, You know, there are a few things. We come to Thanksgiving. There are a few things you're not supposed to talk about, right? You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. And you don't talk about money. Well, thankfully, Jesus was not afraid to talk about money. He talks about money frequently in the Gospels. And this passage, uh, chapter 16 of the book of Luke, is one of those important passages where Jesus really digs into this issue of how do we deal with the resources that God has given us. 
Okay, so we're going to look at these verses, these first 15 verses of the chapter, and we're going to walk through Jesus' discussion about money. And we're going to do it in three steps. So the first step is a perplexing parable. A perplexing parable. This is one of the most difficult parables in the Bible. It's one of the most confusing when we read it. And uh, Aaron just read it all for you. And what we see in this parable, if we were to think of it in terms of like a television show or a movie, it's starring only wicked people with wicked motives. And you think, well, Jesus, what are you saying to us about this? Do you want us to be like these wicked people? Well, the answer is no. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to motivate his disciples. This story is about wealthy people. And I'm not just talking about wealthy people. I'm talking about the uber wealthy in Jesus' day. These were the large aristocracy landholders. These guys were in league with the Romans and with the Herodians. And these people were not godly people. They were not considered the people of God. They were considered the people of the world. And so Jesus says at the end of the parable, he says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. So Jesus wants us to see that the people of the world are strategic. They're shrewd in dealing with their own schemes even more so than the people of light. And by implication, we as the people of light, the people of God, the disciples of Jesus, the church, we should be strategic and we should be shrewd and wise in the use of the resources that we have been given. Well, a few weeks ago, I was watching a documentary on the mafia in the 1970s and the 1980s. And... Um, I mean, it was, it was horrible. These people were horrible. They were murderers. They were, they were just uh, violent, horrible people. I think I went to school with some of their kids in Jersey. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, these people were, were terrible. But yet when you watch this documentary, you realize, I mean, you expect the mafia to be involved in all of the street crime that you see, you know, you know all the different things that the mafia is involved in. But when you watch this documentary, you realized that they had gotten their hands on all of the construction that was happening in, my, in, in, in Manhattan, in New York City, during the 1980s. And as a result, they skimmed millions, if not billions of dollars off of the top of every building that was built. It was amazing. At the end of the documentary, you had to say, man, these guys are horrible, but you got to hand it to them, man. They were sharp. They were shrewd. They were strategic in the use of the resources that they had because they controlled labor unions and they controlled the Teamsters, the truck drivers. They controlled the concrete companies. And so they leveraged those things in order to make themselves rich. This is what Jesus is doing with this parable. He wants us to look at the world and say, at least walk away and say, yeah, you got to hand it to them. They were shrewd. So let's talk a little bit about the story, about this cast of characters that we have here. We start out with the landowner, the wealthy landowner, played by De Niro. 
He's a rich guy. I mean, an uber rich guy. He's got large tracts of land. And so what he does is he leases this land out to large-scale farmers. These are, you know, the big landed gentry kind of guys. And they have control of these large, large tracts of land, and they plant them in things like olive groves and wheat and all of the different things. And they are to pay the landowner with a portion of their crop. And that crop uh, needs to be negotiated by a manager. And so the landowner hires a manager, Pesci. Right? And so he hires this, land, this, this manager who is going to be in charge of negotiating all of these contracts with these guys that are leasing the property. Well, in the course of the story, we find out that our manager is a crook. He's a crooked manager, and he's skimming money from the wealthy landowner. And so, as a result, the landowner says, look, I'm calling you in. You've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar. I'm going to take away your job. You have to turn over your books for some forensic accounting and some investigation here. And so the, the, the crooked manager is in a situation where he's got to move quickly. And he's got to move decisively because he's got a very short window of time while these resources are still in his hand. And he says, look, I can't become a common laborer and do manual labor. I can't. I'm too proud to go out and beg for a living. I have to in some way ingratiate myself to these other rich people so that they will take me into their homes and I can live the lifestyle to which I have become accustomed. I can live a comfortable lifestyle. And so he moves with, with speed and with uh, a strategic focus to pull off the biggest scam in the history of the ancient world. So what does he do? He calls in the tenants, these large-scale farmers, and he says, look, guys, he says, here's the deal. I'm going to be very generous with you. I'm going to give you up to half of the amount of money that you owe to the large landowner. And together, we're going to falsify the documents so that nobody can realize that it's a fraud. He pulls them in on the fraud. So there's no evidence that can point back to them. And he's very generous with the, the landowner's money. And he gives it away. And as a result, when we get to the end of the story, the shrewd, the the wealthy landowner says to the crooked manager, he says, I got to commend you. You were shrewd. I mean, you pulled off a big scam. You did it really well. So what does Jesus want us to learn from this story? Number one, remember, there are no heroes in this story. You're not supposed to be like the crooked manager. That's not who you're supposed to be like. God is not like this wealthy landowner. But there's a point here that the Lord wants us to understand. There are some principles that he wants us to focus on and some things that he wants us to learn in our lives. So now let's focus on the principle that Jesus points out to us. It's a powerful principle. He says in verse 9, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth 
to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I think you can break this principle down into a number of resources that were placed in the hands of us as disciples of Jesus. But we also see them in the hands of the crooked manager. Let's take a look at what they are. The first one is time. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone. In other words, time is short. The manager knew that he had a very short window of time to pull off this scam. If he was going to do it, he had to act quickly while he still had his hands on the resources that were necessary to make it all work. And so he moves quickly and decisively to pull this off. Jesus says your worldly resources will be gone. It's not a matter of if you will lose your resources. It's when money, health, all of that runs out at some point in our lives. At some point, we will lose access to the money that we have, right? Because when you're dead, you can't spend money, right? It's kind of, kind of a, a principle of life, that when you're dead, you lose access to all the things that you have amassed. And so we have a short window of opportunity to use those resources that we've been given. I have a friend whose name was Al, and uh, Al... Uh, was a guy that I worked with in, a, in a, um, a mission board. We served together on this mission board. And um, one day we were in a, in a board meeting and it was his birthday and people were co congratulating him for his birthday. And uh, someone had the audacity to ask how old he was. And he said, I'm 15 years old. We all looked at him. He's like gray hair. He's an older guy. We're like, 15 years old? And he said, yeah. He said, I have 15 years left by my calculations to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And next year, I'll be 14. And the year after that, I'll be 13. You see, this man understood the resource of time that had been placed in his hand. He understood that time was limited. And he had devised a way to keep in his mind that that time was limited and he needed to make a difference now. And this is true for all of us. Time is short. We do not know how much time we have. You know, I look at this side of the room, we look at all the young people here and I think, you're thinking, I've got the rest of my life. Maybe, right? We don't know how long we'll have life or how long we'll have health to be able to do something for the Lord. God has given us a window of time to make a difference, a window of time to use strategically for his kingdom. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now for God's kingdom? The second resource that was placed in the hands of this crooked manager were tools. He had a short window of time, but he also had some tools. In his case, it was the books. He had access to the books, and he had access to the clients of the master, the contracts, 
all of these things. These were the tools that he had in his hand. And so he leveraged those tools in order to gain a comfortable future for himself, to benefit himself. Those tools didn't belong to him, but he knew that he had a window of opportunity of time that he could use those tools to do something. You know, we have, each one of us have a toolbox. We have different things in our toolbox. Some of you people are really good at, you're creative, you're really good at, at inventing things, of, of, of developing things. Some of you are entrepreneurs. Some of you are really good with finances and you understand how the financial world works. Some of you have a, a, an outgoing personality and you can use that to build friends and build relationships. You can sell ice cubes to Eskimos. God has given each one of us talents and resources. He's given each one of us a toolbox. Some of you have money. Some of you have other resources that can be leveraged for the kingdom of God. We have to use those things. It's very interesting because the crooked manager was very generous with his master's money, wasn't he? Hey, just, just take half of what you owe and we'll forgive it. It's really easy to be generous with stuff that doesn't belong to you, right? And you just, just gives it all away, right? Well, guess what? The talents and the gifts and even the money that you have doesn't belong to you. It was given to you by God. And so God wants us to be generous with what he has given us and to leverage it for the kingdom of God, to use it in a way that's going to advance his kingdom. This is what he's calling us to do. I think about a friend that I have here in this church. His name is George. And uh, I want to brag on George for a minute because I knew George... Back when he, when he was still working in the workaday world, he had a, a great job in a big corporation, and uh, he retired from that, and after he retired from that, he started working with our mission committee, and he got real involved in missions, and, and then he began to be involved in, in managing all of the projects that we have around this church, like replacing air conditioning units and negotiating the prices for carpeting and all of these different things. And not only that, he got involved with our presbytery. He became the moderator of our presbytery. He did all kinds of things. He's gotten involved all around, literally around the world, doing all kinds of things. And you see, the thing about it is, is he's, he's retired. In other words, he gets paid for doing nothing. There's something cool about that, isn't there? To be retired, get paid for doing nothing. And then you have the opportunity to decide what you want to do. And my friend George, he decided that he was going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And he was going to leverage just about everything in his toolbox in order to make a difference for our church and for the city and for the world. And George isn't the only one. I can think of at least a dozen other names that come right off the top of my head of people in this church that I look up to, that I want to be like them when I grow up. You see, God is calling us to use what he has given us. It doesn't matter if you're young and you're just developing those resources that are in your toolbox 
Or if you're older and you know who you are and you know what you're good at and you know what you have and what you can expend, God is calling us to use it for his kingdom, to leverage it, because I tell you what, time is short. There is not a lot of time. And we've got to leverage it for his kingdom in a strategic way. And we should be generous with it because it doesn't belong to us anyway. There's another resource that God has placed in our hand, and that is a ticket. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I have a ticket. I have a ticket to heaven. Amen? Do you have a ticket? you have your ticket? Do you have your ticket? You have your ticket? Amen. 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 We've got a ticket. We're going to go to heaven. I can't wait. Right? And when we go to heaven, we are going to live in comfort. We are going to be in heaven. I don't know what that's like. I mean, clouds and harps. I don't know. The Bible says that we are going to serve him day and night in his temple. I don't know what that even means, but it's going to be awesome, whatever it is. And it is going to be a rest. We know that. The Bible talks about it as being a rest. So why are we worried about resting now? Why are we worried about being comfortable now when we know that we have a ticket to the greatest comfort and rest in the world that's coming for us eventually in heaven? Now is the time to work. Now is the time to leverage our time and our tools to accomplish what God has called us to do. Now is the time to make a difference. You see, there is all kinds of things hanging on either side of a map out there in the lobby. Ways that you can get involved. We need people to surround these Afghan families with the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine moving here from Afghanistan? Can you imagine what that's like for these people? They don't speak the language. They've never been in suburban South Tulsa before. They don't know anything about how this world works. They need people to surround them and to help them and to love them. And God is calling us to do it. He's giving us the opportunity to demonstrate his love in a real and practical way to people who do not know him. We have a great opportunity in our hands. We have so many things that need to be done in this building. God has called us to disciple our children and our students to become followers of Jesus Christ and effective ministers of the gospel who can stand up against all of the temptations and all of the distractions of this world. And God is calling some of you to be a part of that, to be small group leaders, to be involved in giving and praying and being a part of what God is doing in each one of these ministries in our church. And there's countless other things in this community that God wants us to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for the kingdom? How are you going to leverage the time that you have this window of opportunity? How are you going to use the tools that God has placed in your toolbox? all with the knowledge that we have a ticket in our hand and we've got comfort waiting for us. That's already secured. So we can be uncomfortable now. Amen? We can be busy now because we know we've got eternity to sit in the courts of Jesus 
to listen, to sit at his feet, and to hear his words. Amen. All right, so we've talked about a perplexing parable. We've talked about a powerful principle. Let's move on to the final step in this message of Jesus, and that is a perilous pathway. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You got God over here. You got money over here. You can't serve both. You've got to make a decision. Either you're going to serve money or you're going to serve God. Our culture says serve money, right? That's what our culture says. It's all about the bottom line. It's all about the money that you can produce. It's all about the status that comes from all of those things that you have. But God is different, and you can't do both. You can't. That's what Jesus is saying. Immediately, we get an example of what this wrong pathway looks like. And it's the Pharisees themselves. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people highly value is detestable in God's sight. Wow. The Pharisees loved money. The Bible says that they were sneering at Jesus. I looked up this word sneering. I thought it was an interesting word. And so I looked it up, and in the original language, in the Greek language, the word is ekmukterizo. And it, it comes from, the, the root of this word is mukter, and mukter is the Greek word for your nose. It literally means to lift your nose up. Okay? So these people were lifting their nose up at Jesus. The word tamak comes from mukter. comes from that same Greek word. So they're mocking Jesus. They're sneering at him. They're lifting their nose up. I think many of us do this during stewardship time when we talk about money. We go, oh man, why did I come to church today? What was I thinking? I could have stayed in bed. Why do I have to hear another sermon about money? Are you kidding me? Be careful. Be careful. Because Jesus says what people highly value is detestable in God's sight. What people highly value is detestable in God's sight. What is he talking about? Well, first of all, we need to think about what people highly value. What do we value? Well, we value our bank account. We value status symbols. Got to have this kind of phone. Got to have that kind of car. Got to have this kind of vacation house. Got to have this or that. An overabundance of personal possessions. What are the things that we value? And why are these things detestable to God? Well, the hint here is that word detestable, because almost every time it appears in the Bible, it has to do with idols. It has to do, I'm not talking about American idols, I'm talking about idols, right? Idols that we have, things that get in the way of God, things that we put in the place of God in our lives. That's what idols are. And money can become an idol in our life because we put it in the place of God, and we worship it instead of worshiping God. 
Our world, our culture worships money. It does. It does. That is the God of our culture. And so we must be careful. And Jesus obviously had the same problem in his day because he says, you must be careful because we all need money at some level or another. And we've got to be careful that it does not become our God. So how do we keep money from becoming an idol? Well, there's an ancient means of keeping something from becoming your idol, and that's called sacrifice. We have to put our idols on the altar. We have to sacrifice it. You see, Jesus calls us to give and to be generous with our money, not because God needs your money. God doesn't need your money. God is rich. He's God. He doesn't need your money. But God needs us to put our money on the altar so that we can assure ourselves that it has not become a God in place of him in our lives. Amen? And it's not easy to say amen because we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. But that is the surefire way to keep money in its proper place is to sacrifice it. And so when we talk about stewardship, when we talk about money, it's not because the church needs money. Well, the church does need money. We need money. God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to use us and our resources to fund the establishment and the extension of his kingdom. Don't know why. He could have gone, bling, there's the gold. Make it happen. But he didn't. He wants to use us so that he stays first in our life and we continually have to put our money on the altar so that we let go of it and we trust in him for our own lives. Jesus wants us to think strategically about our money and our resources. Jesus wants us to think spiritually about our money and our resources. And he wants us to leverage them for the kingdom. What do you have in your toolbox? There's a limited window of time. What are you going to do that makes a difference? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful to transform us. If we'll humbly come to it and listen to what you're telling us. Lord God, you don't want us to have idols in our lives. You don't want money to be at the center when you deserve to be at the center. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.